Welcome to the Armani Talks podcast. I'm your host, Armani Talks. In this podcast, I'm helping you level up your communication skills every Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. If it's your first time on the channel, welcome aboard. In this channel, I'm dropping practical tips on public speaking, storytelling, emotional resilience, along with other topics to help you improve your intangibles. Go on and hit the subscribe button. Stay updated for the latest content. Today, we are back for Unapologetic Truths, episode 11 with Harsh Strongman. Welcome back to the show. Hey, Arman. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How's your hike? My hike has been great. So I just got back a couple of days ago and I've been spending my days just resting and sleeping because recovering my body from the exercise. But other than that, it was a great time. I really loved it. And the weather is beautiful here in India. I saw your pictures and you got me jealous. I'm thinking, man, I got to go on a hike soon too. Hey, we can hike together if you plan to fly here in India. One of these days. Is it cold over there or how's it like? Since it's December, it's getting cold. But on a hike, it's usually cold. So I did this hike was mostly a night hike. So I was hiking across um, the mountains in the night for a couple of days. So it was very cold and very, very windy. Does in the it sense take that a couple of days? It, the wind is very continuous when you go on the on a mountain. It's you're very exposed. There's nothing around, so the wind doesn't stop, and the temperatures are about twelve degrees, eleven degrees Celsius, and the temperature itself is a non-issue, but the wind kind of makes it horrible because the wind steals the heat from your body. So unless you have enough clothing, you will get hypothermia or something. Hypothermia. Oh, wow. And how how long does it take to hike up? It depends. So sometimes it takes like two, three hours. Sometimes it takes less. It depends on how fit you are. And uh, if you want to stop on the way, take photographs and relax, which a lot of people do. And it also depends, for example, if you're, uh, I, if I, I just went out with my friends and my some of my friends are not so fit to climb fast. So they will want like <laughs> a 10 minute break. And that's fine. You know, it's fun and it's, it, it takes longer, but we're not there to hike fast. We're there to have fun. Right, to enjoy the scenery and all of that. Exactly. When, before I ever did any form of hiking, for some reason, I used to confuse hiking with mountain climbing. Did you ever do that? Mountain climbing, I haven't done yet. It's something that I intend to do in the future. It's just... I. I think you have to learn some mountain climbing first for it to be safe enough to do. Otherwise, you're just at the mercy of other people helping you or not. Right. Well, hiking is something that you don't need much training for. It's pretty much just walking. Yeah, pretty much just walking. Have you been hiking before, Arman? I have been hiking a few times. And I've noticed that it it depends on the steepness. Some of the places aren't too steep. So it, it feels like a normal walk, while the other places are so steep where you could feel it in your quads. It's tough going up. It's easy coming down. Agree with you there. But sometimes when it's too steep, it's easy to go up in the sense that it's safe to go up. But when you're coming down, you have to be extra careful because if you slip, you slip. Mm. No, what I'm saying is that when you're coming down, say in a monsoon season, when the trail is very wet and slippery, when you're coming down, it's 
it's a little harder for many people because you can actually see the fall like you can see that if you slip on one side you're going to die so for some people they they have to be extra cautious personally it doesn't bother me that much but i can see why some people think it's harder to come down than to go up mhm and sometimes it's people that are afraid of heights like for me personally i don't like heights that much So sometimes when I'm going up one of these hikes going up I'm not seeing how far away from the ground that I am but when I'm looking down I'm like oh man I'm so high up I'm starting to get a little dizzy but it becomes adrenaline but do do you ever see that or people are afraid of heights and they get scared coming down not particularly because It's the tracks that I have been on are not that risky. They're not that scary. So I'm not fully sure, but I can see that happening for people. Let me ask you something though because I was actually talking to one of my buddies about this recently. He turned 32 and what he did was skydiving. Have you ever heard of that? You jump off a helicopter or like a yeah. small plane. Yeah, I, that's what he did. And I remember like 3 weeks before he was telling me, "Hey man, if you want to come with me, I could get us an extra ticket." I'm like, "Dude, bro, I do other kind of stuff, but that kind of stuff is too much of an adrenaline junkie kind of thing for me." <laughs> I'm like, yeah, "Do not count me in. Are you someone that would do skydiving in the future?" I would do it if I was doing it in something like a more developed country that has higher safety standards. I I would not feel comfortable doing it in India because in India some a lot of these things are not properly regulated and if some equipment fails it it, it there is a chance that that might happen like you might you might actually end up in an accident and I've seen that happen actually so I remember like when I was say 10 years ago I remember I had been out with family and there were people who were doing something called paragliding if you have you heard of that is that the one with the triangle one Yeah, they kind of float in the sky for some time and they come back to where they started. Mhm. So what these guys were doing was they were paragliding and a bunch of them just crashed. They they crashed all the way down into the jungle. And people oh, died and damn. a couple of people like they broke all of their limbs, like they broke their legs and their hands and oh. I know that happened probably because all of these paragliding paragliding people in india they're just unregulated so even i could start my own paragliding company without having any experience whatsoever mm-hmm. so it's i don't consider many of these adventure sports to be safe to do in developing countries where there aren't enough standards and regulations for the people who are actually you know conducting these activities but i would be open to doing it in a more developed country that does have these standards you know I, mm-hmm. it's not that i don't trust the i don't it's not that i, I i'm afraid of skydiving i just don't trust the equipment and the the skill of the people here right where i think you and me are different in this where you would do it in a developed country and i wouldn't ever say i would never do it but me at this stage right now there's a 95% chance that i would never do that And it's not only just skydiving harsh. I would also say stuff like riding a motorcycle. And these things which I don't see much benefit for me and the risks are too high where a small technology blip uh, can take my life away. Hmm. 
Have you ever, you know, sat on a horse that's like running? I have been on a horse before, but it wasn't running. It gives you this adrenaline rush, you know, it kind of makes you feel more alive. So it people, it depends on like how much thrill you want in life, you know. Mm-hmm. Some people want like a lot of that rush and some people don't particularly care. I'm in the ones I don't particularly care, but I do want to experience certain things a couple, at least once. So I, I was actually on a horse and the horse was like galloping fast. And it was uh, it was fun, but it wasn't anything too special. Do you, you do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so I, I, I don't really get you. you. It's not it's not it's not that you're missing out on anything if you don't do it. But if you can do it, I would say do it. There was this one time I was hiking, and we were taking horses up the place, and I remember the horse that I got. We were on the most outer part of the lane, so. Oh, it's it must like, be a mule, not a horse then. Yeah, it was probably a mule. I, I, I don't, I'm not quite sure. This was a couple of years ago. And I recall we got high up there and this horse, mule, whatever, is all the way at the edge. And I'm thinking, yo, mule, you better <laughs> st- stop leaning so much towards the edge. I feel like you're just going to jump off out of the blue moon. And... I didn't have fun, man. I'm just going up. And people are like, yo, man, isn't this so fun? And we had this guy that was like guiding our mule. And he's like, uh, don't worry. Your mule sometimes gives some trouble. But today he's in a good mood. <laughs> I'm like, you're telling me this right now? Why, why did you give me this mule? And we're high up there. And is this certain thing that I have where I'm in my mind, we're so high up there. I'm like... If this mule just decides that it wants to jump off out of the blue moon, what am I going to do? So I'm kind of sitting unbalanced. I'm like tilting towards my left (laughs) at any moment thinking this idiot mule is going to jump off. And I don't even know why I'm thinking that. It's just I'm getting paranoid because I don't like heights that much. And I don't know how people like this kind of stuff. But I do know (laughs) there are certain people who are, they have the name Adrenaline Junkies. Where they live for this kind of stuff. Yeah, I've heard of those guys as well. You know, I've seen... Do you know there's a sport called drifting where they take a car and they like make the car go really fast and they turn? Mm-hmm. I know and exactly what that is. I don't know the appeal of that. You know, that just sounds risky. Because I know a lot of like... I've heard of a lot of popular people who keep doing it and they keep dying from it. So why are they doing it? But adrenaline rush. It's just an adrenaline rush. But I don't think that activities like, you know, skydiving from a proper place should be as risky because I haven't heard of many accidents in that regard. Mm-hmm. See, for me, I'm more of like a basketball kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> if you give me a basketball, I'll play that. A football, a soccer, a baseball. I'll play those kinds of sports. But I'm not a big fan of... Uh, extreme uh, biking, uh, skateboarding, that kind of stuff. Let me ask you something, Arman. If SpaceX reaches out to you and they say that we want you to be a pilot, in the sense we want you to be on a pilot flight to the space station, and this is going to be complete, this is going to be completely free for you. But the only catch is that this ride is this technology is experimental. So there's a ten percent chance that you might die from the ride. 
like the, the this might, it might explode or not connect properly to the space station and you might just die. But if it there's a ninety percent chance it would work, but and if it works, then you get to go to the space station, live in space for a while, and it's all on their dime. So would you take this or not? Uh, pardon my French, but hell no. For me personally, <laughs> for me personally, harsh. These kinds of stuff don't interest me at all. If I'm going to be taking some sort of risk, it'll be in terms of starting a business. It'll be in terms of, I don't know, breaking ice with strangers that can create an opportunity. But flying up in space, I think there are certain people that are meant for it. But that's just not for me. Would you? Yeah, I would take it. You would take it? Yeah. And what appeals to you about this? Going to space. And even if it's a 10% chance of it crashing, whatever... That that doesn't bug you too much? Not really. Not not that much. So let me ask you, have you ever been curious about space? Where I hear guys like Jeff Bezos, he's been curious have, since a kid. Ever since I was like a small kid, I was obsessed with space and astronomy. I, I remember I would have books about the solar system and how rockets work. And it, it's it's fascinated me ever since I was... As far as I can remember, like I can remember like when I was three, four years old and I remember being fascinated by the whole thing and I remember wanting to go to space and being an astronaut. How old were you? Three years, maybe four years. I don't know. Like As far back as I can think. I remember my mom and my dad had bought me a book that had like different, different careers. So it had like a page for astronaut, doctor, archaeologists and a bunch of other things and the only thing that appealed to me was astronaut at what age would you say that started to fade away it never fully faded away it Mm -hmm. just i happened to get into you know the commerce line of studying and it didn't it didn't fade away just i didn't do it in the Mm -hmm. sense that my family kind of steered me in a direction that is more practical. Right. Do you ever see yourself getting back into it? Not particularly. That's simply because it sounds too far-fetched in the sense that Even if I had to go to space, like who are the, which organizations are taking you to space, say NASA and the skills that NASA would want for you to go to space, like for, and the skills that I have are just very different. Mm-hmm. Plus, even if I did acquire those skills, the probability of them picking me is very low. So the effort to reward ratio just doesn't match for me. And I do think that if there's a system in the future, like Elon Musk figures it out and you could pay, say, a certain amount of money to go to space, I would do that. Right. So if we're reframing it in a way where, let's say, 20 years down the line, uh, going to Mars, for example, is like us flying on an airplane. If it's something like that, I understand that an airplane has risk and I'm okay with that risk. But if it's something that we're just figuring out right now, I'm not cool with it, but if it's something we've <laughs> predominantly figured out in the future, then yeah, I mean, I have no problem going to Mars, checking it out, meeting some cute Martians. 
you know the mars thing is actually going to take a while to figure out and that's you know that's simply because mars is just too far away for example if you take how long does it take to go to the moon let, let me google this i don't remember exactly and i don't want to be wrong on the podcast wait how long did it take to go to to the moon so it takes about 3 days for a spacecraft to reach the moon okay now arman guess how long it takes for a spacecraft to reach mars okay i'm guessing right now like 7 days it takes 7 months one way 7 months oh wow oh, i was way off yeah 7 months and the other issue is that if you're like in an aircraft for 7 months they're being bombarded with the sun's you know cosmic radiation and for 7 months straight it's going to kind of blow up the chances of someone on board getting cancer or cancer in the future so let let me actually tell you exactly how much how much time it takes to get to the to mars so to get to mars mars Mm-mm. Oh, it takes nine months to get there, and nine months back, not seven months. To, uh, to Mars. Yes, yeah, so it takes nine months one way to get to Mars, and that's simply because Mars is so far away. Gotcha. Have you ever seen the movie Interstellar, Harsh? I have heard of it. I haven't watched it yet. I no wait. Is this the one? I did watch one of those space movies. I, I for the there's there's some woman and some one of her guys kind of like drifts away into space and she has to go mm-hmm. to a Chinese um port somewhere. Go to a Chinese port? Uh, I, I think we're talking about different movies. This is the one with Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway. Let me Google this. Wait. They they were like yeah. two three movies released around this time with Inter Stellar. You may be talking about the Arrival or Martian, which I kind of saw Martian, so I don't remember. But the plot you just mentioned doesn't ring anything for me. I don't well, know. As you're pulling I that up, watch. I did watch a space movie. Yeah, so I I watched Gravity. I didn't watch the other one. Okay, you definitely got to check out Interstellar. But around the end of the movie harsh, there's this one point uh, and if you're on Google right now, just type in Cooper Station. Um so there's this part in Interstellar harsh where if you watch the end of the movie, there's a place called Cooper Station where they built certain living spots right by the earth. So if you're on Google, you should just type in Cooper Station and you'll see what I'm talking about. That's how I was envisioning the future. I'm not saying that we're not going to inhabit another planet, but I think this is going to be the precursor and this is going to be something more routine for people like us. And I think that's what Jeff Bezos is trying to do. So it would be like islands. Yeah, it's like floating islands that are hovering over Earth, sort of like clouds, but you could actually go there and there's grass, there's uh, towns, there's cities, etc. Hmm. Yeah, I think that is feasible. It's more feasible than just going to Mars directly. Because it just how far these things are, like it's kind of impossible for humans to do it in one lifetime, but 
if we could have like multiple stations in a way, then across many lifetimes, people could do it. So one lifetime, you could move to one station, your son could move to the next one, then your son, his son could move to the next one. And eventually your genes will get there. Mm-hmm. Because that's the only way it has to be done. If something is like a million light years away, that's, it's going to take light a million years to go there. So for us, it's going to take like way more. So you have to have some of these stops because no one's going to agree to spend their entire life in a spacecraft. That's not going to happen. Like they'll spend like maybe 10 years at most. Right. So, okay. I was not expecting us to talk about this when we started the episode. (laughs) Well, while we're still on Interstellar, this is one of my favorite movies. I really enjoy it, and I've probably watched it multiple times. I know you're not a big fan of entertainment or movies or anything like that, but this is a long shot. Do you have a certain movie that rings true to you that you just enjoy a lot? What do you mean by rings true to me? It's something about it. You wouldn't mind watching it multiple times. Not particularly. They all get boring after one watch. For you, it's more so in terms of books, right? Correct. Okay. Is there a certain book you read a lot? I don't typically reread books. I don't. When I was a kid, I would like... So when I was like maybe, say, in 2009, when I actually got into reading, I would read the fiction books more than once because they were just fun like i would read aragon and harry potter and all these books and i would Mm -hmm. read them more than once but i don't see myself doing that for non-fiction i there's only one book i've read twice and that is titan by ron chernow and when i say read i mean quote unquote read because the first time i listened to the entire audiobook and I found that book to be so great and so motivational that I, that I read the entire book myself for, with a paperback. Mm-hmm. So this is the yeah. only book I've gone through twice. Okay. So for me, there are certain books I've reread. But the reason I brought up Interstellar is because there's been a few times where I've tweeted about it. And this is that one particular movie where I'll often get DMs from different people who are like, Yo, man, you literally just read my mind. I've read, I've watched this movie so many times before. And something about that movie, man, it for me is a masterpiece. The way that the storyline is so deep, uh, the, uh, the music that flows with the movie, the cinematics. And I know I'm probably speaking a foreign language to you because you're like, man, screw movies. But for <laughs> me, I'm not normally a guy that's watching too many movies. But this is the one that just kind of resonated with me a lot. And I was surprised when I heard so many people DMing me and saying the same thing. They're like, man, it resonated with me as well. And I don't know if I could find it, but I actually wrote a long thread as to why it resonates with so many different people. And I think there's something, uh, it's a psychological thing where it's happening to different people from around the world, where I'm in Tampa, but someone from Australia is messaging me this, someone from Germany. While there are other people who despise the movie, I do know that it's a polarized movie. I enjoyed it a lot. You should definitely check it out. I will have a look. I usually enjoy anything related to space and, you know, stars and things like that. 
Mm-hmm. I think it's a male thing, you know, to wonder more about where we're from and what is the origin of the universe. That's it. That's what I included in that thread. There's something about it where when they're going off into space, is that one scene where you're off into space and my mind, I could just feel it expanding and I feel it in my chest. And you just said it right there. It's that sense of wonder. Have you heard of this guy called Carl Sagan? I've been watching some of his stuff recently. The YouTube algorithm just randomly recommended him. He so I'm has surprised you brought it up. Such an amazing voice, doesn't he? It's soothing. It's very soothing. And I was watching a video by him called The Pale Blue Dot. And I won't spoil it for other people, but the video is essentially us about being so. Uh, are you familiar with the Voyager 1 aircraft? Voyager 1? Uh, it's a rocket ship, right? It's a satellite, Voyager 1 and 2. So one of these satellites kind of crossed the solar system. So it's the furthest man-made thing from us. It's like it's outside the solar system now. It's been uh, traveling since the past 30, 40 years now. Mm-hmm. And it, for now it has crossed the solar system. And when... So these things are like powered through the equipment that they have. So it's not like a big ass battery. So it's since it's been on for like 50 years, its battery has been dying, 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 dying. And over time, the scientists have to shut off a lot of the systems just to, you know, because electric charge is running out. So right before they were about to shut off the camera permanently, they took a photo of all the planets on the solar system from where the Voyager spacecraft was. And in that photograph, the Earth is like one pixel. It's almost like you can hardly see it. So it's like a mm-hmm. pale blue dot. And that's what this guy's video is about. It's like we've like on this pale blue dot, we've lived our entire lives together and we fought over land and all of your ancestors have had their great memories. This is where we thought of God and whatever else. And we will we were born here and we will die here and Millions have done the same thing. And this is our Earth. This is where we are, this pale blue dot. And that I find to be something, I found that to be very humbling in a way that the world is so big. And this Earth that we call home is just this dot. And even on this small dot, there's no way I'm going to see more than 0.01% of it. So something about space, Harsh, I don't know about for you, but for me, whenever I see space, I feel more creative. And to take this even a little further, uh, within the place that I live, I have a few posters of the universe. And I've made YouTube videos about this in the past, but something about looking at pictures of the universe or fire causes me to become way more creative With the universe, it makes sense. I believe something about our thoughts where it's infinite in nature. You could think as many thoughts that you want and you never run out of thoughts. I feel like a creativity turns your mind from a galaxy into this cosmos. So that's why I have the posters of the universe. But with fire, something about it, when I look at it, it makes me feel creative as well. So... I don't really know why this is. Do you have any explanation as to why this may be for me? For fire? 
Uh-huh. I can I break know. it down. It's, it's kind of mysterious, you know, and if you like look into see the early descriptions of fire when we didn't know it was plasma, people would represent fire as life. Yes. So in my book, Wordplay, 101 Short Stories, Essays, and Insights to Improve Communication Skills, which is currently available on Amazon, I talk about how for our ancient ancestors, when they discovered fire, it wasn't just about them now having the ability to eat food, right? And cook meat. It was a game changer. It was more so about them controlling time at this point, where nowadays, when the sun went down, they could still use the fire in their caves and they could actually use it to melt a lot of the items which were eventually going to produce cave art so i think something about the human at this present day state fire lights something with creativity and the two create this dance with one another so if anyone is struggling with creativity i recommend having something fire related uh, a poster or a a small little YouTube clip, something, and you'll notice a lot of these strong sensations in your chest, which makes you want to create something. I've always wondered how people lived during those periods, you know, when we had just discovered fire. Because even back then, Arman, when people think 10,000 years ago, they think of some primitive human who doesn't have emotions and intelligence and lives and is basically a monkey. And that's not true at all. That's bullshit. Primitive humans, like ever since Homo sapiens existed, they were just like us. They were just like us. They they had the same intelligence. They had physical strength and they had emotions. They were like people like us. They, they were not different from us in a significant way. They felt the same things we did. And I've always wondered how they experienced the world in those times when they just discovered fire and they were out in their caves dancing or whatever. Mm-hmm. It just sounds so fascinating. And that entire way of life is lost in a way. Well, you could say that they were more connected to the fundamental parts of the world much before technology, which is something you probably noticed when you were hiking recently, where you were directly in connection with nature. You know, more so I noticed this from the villagers who lived at the base camps. So on these base camps here in India, these are like poor villages and these guys don't have that much. So they live, they have houses, but their lives are far closer to nature than ours is. And when I was there, I noticed that a lot of these people were basically living naturally which is what prompted me to wonder how things were before all the technology and other things. Do you think they, uh, since we're talking about people from 10,000 years ago, do you think they had some advantages over what we have nowadays? Advantages in what sense? Uh, Any sense where nowadays you could say that for us, we have, you know, technology and I'm sure that they had technology too but in a different sense. Do you think they were, from your humble opinion, more wise or more knowledgeable, more crafty? I don't think they were more wise or more knowledgeable or more crafty because this is the time where we are that. We we are wiser and we have more knowledge. 
and we are we have more technology and i don't think those are the advantages they had i think their advantages would be they were physically stronger than us because they were working physically more and yeah i don't i can't see many advantages there because this was a time where anything could kill you you could get invaded by someone else or the king wants you to fight in the army so you have to fight in the army you don't have a choice and you know you get you get you know there were like basic diseases could kill you like you could get measles and cholera or something and die and it wasn't a great time to be alive to be honest so it's i like one we might be romanticizing the period too much it kind of sucked for everyone living there <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like when we were just talking about the universe when you look at what's it called the pale blue dot a part of you feels humble right it's just if you're anyone with some sort of sense it's just that sense of oh whoa i'm actually really small in terms of the bigger picture people who study history a lot say the same thing it's like when you have a strong grasp of history a part of you feels more humble are you someone that studies history a lot or do you just sort of brush up against it i do study it somewhat but not as a historian would in the sense that i kind of pick up history books every once in a while but it's not like in a continuous way intended for serious studying i haven't experienced that part yet but i have learned a lot about humans from history and more importantly by studying biographies and autobiographies mhm do you I've, enjoy studying history yeah that was like the one class where in high school my teachers were like I Armani this is at least one class you're not going to mess up. <laughs> <laughs> so history is something I enjoyed. Uh, I enjoy studying a, a variety of topics, but with history harsh, it's something that I've been more curious about as of late. I've noticed myself actually getting more curious about topics I studied in school as an adult. Like topics like history, topics like psychology, uh, a little bit of chemistry as well. and it's just like in school it's unfortunate because if i have the perspective that i have now and the real world experience i could appreciate what they were trying to tell me back then but back then i just didn't have the experience so they were giving me a lot of valuable information but the way that they were delivering it which was boring as hell and my lack of experience just didn't allow me to perceive it but nowadays you know starting armani talks doing business i find the need to just study history and i'm just naturally gravitating towards it i had a follower who told me recently where i was saying that if you want to feel humble you know study the universe or history and he added in one more thing he's like you should actually also understand how the body works like you got to understand microbiology and your mind will be blown and i don't have any resources on how i could learn microbiology but that is a subject that i'm curious about Mm. You know, I had the same experience as you. Although when I was a student, I hated history. And when I say I hated, I mean I would fail history repeatedly. And that's mm-hmm. simply because I would think what is the point of all of this nonsense? I don't really need to know this. But I attributed to history being taught in a wrong way. In the sense that uh, when I was in 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th and 10th grade, 
we had history in school, but we weren't being taught stories of history. What we were being told was memorize these names, memorize these dates, and these wars happened, memorize the place of the war. And how is that important? Like it's it's the least important part of history is the names of the people, the dates, and the places. That is the least important part of history. And that's what the education system is focusing on. But as I um, as I've grown older and I've wanted to understand people, the human civilization, and why we are the way we are more, I want to understand our past. And I don't mean the names of people. I mean like why they did what they did, why they had to make certain compromises. So if a king came up with a policy, why did he have to do this? What factors influenced it? I want to learn the story and the context of those actions and not this guy's name and his birth date. So I think that history is one of the most valuable things people can learn, but I'm yet Mm -hmm. to find great resources for it. It's something I've been picking up. I want to read the entire history of India from the beginning to the end, but I haven't found or to be honest, I haven't really looked into it that much. But I haven't, right. I haven't like gotten a proper resource for it yet. Well, I've been hearing about this podcast that multiple people have recommended to me. It's called Hardcore History with Dan Carlin. And they're like, if you want to check out history and learn about it in an entertaining way, check out that podcast. Let me have you ever heard of it you. before? No, I have not. I think Elon Musk was on a recent episode. Wait, Elon Musk but, about history. That's interesting. Is he into history as well? I actually have no clue, man. This is one of the podcasts I do want to check out because multiple people are telling me about it. I think he talks about Genghis Khan, uh, Julius Caesar, and those guys. Hmm, that's interesting. So you can buy like a series of episodes here. So Hardcore History Compilation 1 to 55 for $80. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I want to learn about all of this stuff. Let me let me get some of this later. <laughs> We're uh, thinking out loud, but now you got me curious about different fields as well. You know, about microbiology, I've been wanting to learn microbiology as well. You know, have you ever felt the whole thing where you want to learn and do so much, but there's only 24 hours in a day? I feel that a lot. And I think that actually separates two groups of people, Harsh, where I wrote a tweet recently where I said that, you know, people who hate reading can't fathom how people like reading and people who like reading can't fathom how more people aren't reading. And I think people who actually enjoy reading, they are so curious to a point where at one point or another in their day, they think, man, I actually don't have enough time to learn all this stuff. So for guys like them, reading feels effortless. It doesn't feel like work. Is that something that you've experienced? Not particularly. I think the reason why some people like reading and some people don't is just IQ. Because when you have like when you're smart, you need like you need to stimulate your brain with a lot of new information. And smart people typically don't like, you know, talking about other people and gossiping and things like that like some some of them do but the average smart person the average nerd or the average geek 
he wants new information about the world and reading is the way to get that and they actually find reading fun but low iq people they 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 think of reading as a task for them it's not fun for them it's work for them they would rather say you know watch a movie or do something that is more emotionally stimulating rather than logic rather than logically stimulating what's your opinion on people who enjoy reading or excuse me who enjoy learning but they don't enjoy reading i would say there would are exceptions like to, there are exceptions right where they'll like to you know they'll say well i got to listen man i got to listen to podcasts i i can't actually read a book or i got to see the show i can't read a book you encounter people like that not that many i i really do not encounter people like that if you do i think the situation is that they just haven't given reading a fair shot you know sometimes you just have a mental block like you see a big book and then you feel this is going to be so boring and annoying you never even try <laughs> but when you actually start reading it the pages just fly that's something that i've been noticing where a few of my clients these guys are brilliant guys they're in their 40s 50s high up in their fields and every now and then they'll be like hey man i didn't know you write books i want to read it man i haven't read a book in so freaking long i'm like you haven't how did you rise <laughs> up this much you know you can't even tell cuz they're so freaking well spoken uh, they're high up in their field and i'm like how do you normally learn and they're like oh well i take courses i you know watch uh, i watch documentaries i listen to interviews why would you possibly read it's so slow and tedious while for me i'm like now nah, man reading's a mental workout for me and he is like really and he's like all right man i'll probably give it a shot but it's not just one of these clients it's multiple clients who are like i learn but i can't read and learn hmm that's interesting i have not come across people like this but i bet they exist was reading always easy for you and before you answer that question the reason i can empathize with these people harsh is because there was a phase in my life where i liked reading but it was particularly fiction books then i stopped for a long period of time anytime i tried to read i would hate it but that's mainly because i was being told what to read by the school curriculum and then later on in my life i still wasn't reading but i was learning in different ways i was learning by doing i was learning by listening learning by watching and then i would say later on in my 20s i restarted the reading process again so there was a huge hiatus where i could see that people can learn without reading but from my personal experience reading gives you this in-depth experience that it's difficult to get in other fields agree so if, even if you watch a documentary or do a course it's they sacrifice depth but a book is full depth they don't sacrifice anything right so with this one client that i was talking about he was just like man i've been working with you for the past couple of months right now and you know i bought your book level up mentality recently but after reading your book i feel like i know you even more at this point i feel like i know a lot of the different crevices of your mind where even though we were working together we were having these interactive sessions i knew you but i didn't know you know you mm. and that just gave me the perspective which is like huh 
it's time to respect books more. I, I believe, especially in this generation, because a lot of the information in this generation is bite-sized and small. So reading is a lost art, but finding the right books and reading it is an art in itself. You know, there's a double whammy here because not double whammy per se, but there's a disconnect here because if you take this generation, it has never been easier to get a book. So if you say go back 150 years, acquiring a book was actually really difficult because books used to be very expensive and printing was not very well. Like Printing wasn't something that was very common. So people would, books were rare. Like You would have to borrow it or they were just too expensive, like prohibitively so for regular people like us. And today we have books that are essentially free. Like you could buy a book for like $10 or $5 and have it delivered to your house. So they're just as good as like anyone can buy a book. Like even if you're broke as fuck, you can buy a book. But we're also at a situation where people are just so used to bite-sized information and of course, I missed something before. So 150 years ago, even if people wanted to read, the average person just wasn't educated. He couldn't read even if he wanted to. Today we have people, everyone is educated, or at least everyone listening to this is educated. And everyone can buy a book, but people are just so addicted to social media and YouTube and as you said, bite-sized information that they haven't, they are, they're not picking up books. So it's, it's, there's a bit of an irony here, isn't there? This is like, you have good food available, but you're just so used to eating fast food <laughs> that you're not eating the good food and your ancestors are looking back at you when they were starving and they're wondering why aren't you eating all the good food? Why are you eating all this crap? Right, like eat the good stuff, man. And for me personally, I do see a role for the bite-sized information where sure. I do have a series called 101 Short Stories, Essays, and Insights. And most of the essays and insights, short stories are under a thousand words. And all of them together fill up a book, which gives a person a very flexible way to read. I do see a lane for that, especially as a person is getting busier and busier, because I'm just factoring in the average reading span. Reading a book, especially if you're busy, you have a family, you have kids, I can understand why it becomes something that a person wants to do, but they can't just do to their lifestyle circumstances. And I'm sure that they can even squeeze in 20 minutes a day, where that's one of the reasons I created these short stories. It was especially for adults that were busy. But the thing is, there are other books I have which are, you know, it's comprehensive on a certain topic. And I believe even from the books that I read like that, Harsh, which are comprehensive on a certain topic, sometimes I feel guilty because I'm like, man, I actually got this book for only four bucks. I feel like I should have paid at least 40 bucks for this. Yeah, that happens to me all the time where I read a book and I'm surprised by how cheap it is. Mm -hmm. For example, I, like think... I, I recently read a book and the book was, I think the book cost me about $80. $80 and it blew my mind how cheap the book was because that book should have been $800 at least. 
Is that the uh, Charles Charlie Munger book? Oh no, that book is more expensive. This is a book. Um, this book is like very very thin, and this book is banned in the USA. Hmm. Let uh, me send are you. Are you allowed the to name. say the name? Yeah, but uh-huh. it has a complex name. I forgot. It's been a while. Wait. I have it up here. So this book is called The Anatomy of Female Power. And this book is by this guy. Let me see if I can pronounce this. Wait, let me find this on Amazon. Uh, yeah, this is written by some Nigerian guy. And I'm going to Google his name. Wait. The Anatomy of Female Power. I'm finding like bootleg PDFs. And his name is Chinwaizu Ibikewe. Hmm, that name sounds familiar for some reason. And this guy's book is very good, okay? But the fact that it's so good, and since it's not like very pro feminist, the feminists somehow got it banned in the US. So if you're in the US, you have to be like $400 for it to be shipped to you. But everywhere else, you can get it for like $100. So I got a used copy for $100 or $80. And the book is really, really good. It's just going to open your perspective about culture and society. Because currently, what are you, what you're, what are you being told? You're being told what women were oppressed and men kind of oppressed them. And we didn't give them enough freedom and other bullshit when it was not that case at all. So this book is going to open up it's going to give you a different perspective at the very least because it's actually men who were the slaves. Like if you think about it, you're the one who's going out and hunting and providing food and everything. What is she doing for you? So who is the slave here? Is that what the book covers? The book is... Not exactly about that. That is like a very superficial thing. The book is about power. So it's about how women how, how women kind of assert their power over men without men realizing it. It's like you, you hold complete power over someone, but you also use that power to make them feel like they have power over you. And then you guilt trip them further into giving up whatever power they have. Hmm. Is this book written in like story format or is he talking right to you? He's talking right to you. Oh, okay. But it's a very good book. I recommend people read it. It's just that it's expensive to buy. Anatomy of Female Power. But it's worth it. Like I would have paid 10 times. Yeah, and this ties it back into what we were saying, Harsh, where there's so much information out there, and I believe the desire is low for you know, groups of people to actually tackle the information. You know why I think that? I'll tell you my honest opinion, okay? I'll be very direct. If you go back in time, you will find that only a particular class of people had access to knowledge. Like only a small percentage of people were educated and well-read enough. Like they had aristocratic background for them to be able to read and write. But now every complete idiot 
knows how to read and write and complete idiots don't respect books they don't respect knowledge they just want to have fun they want to fuck around and they want to you know enjoy themselves so if you say look back at history and culture and general religion as well these books will often talk about two types of people like if you, even if you say someone like a philosopher like nietzsche there was slave morality and master morality and today we have everyone educated but 90% of these people are slave morality people they they are lower human beings we the people are not the same there are people who are higher human beings and there are people who are lower and most people are lower and lower human beings live closer to animals in the sense that what are their lives comprised of they sleep they wake up they eat they fuck they find a way to entertain themselves and the the process keeps repeating until they die they breed and they die they have no higher order goals or morals or something to ascribe to so they have no say honor or they have no nobility they don't care about something like chastity so they don't see any value in higher order morality simply because they're just too low it is like expecting a dog to value chastity it can't it doesn't give a shit it's a dog it's like that you know they're like lower level people Mm. and this is something that cultures across the world have talked about so i won't be getting into specifics here because this is too controversial and i don't want to get your youtube channel banned but if you go across any culture and religion and look at its old literature they will talk about many 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 kinds of people and you will often have a class of people who are basically considered to be very low class and this low class is in my opinion there because they just lack the culture where they, where they don't respect things like knowledge or nobility or you know chastity and all these values they're closer to animals so i don't think that all humans are equal mm. and historically no one has thought that this is something that people only think today and do you say they're not equal in terms of mind or how would you break it down i would say they're not equal in terms of consciousness and you know of course i don't i don't mean that for example all of them are unequal in the sense that if you have a group of people who i would say are lower they could have certain members born who are higher consciousness and you could have a group of higher conscious people and they could have some members who are low consciousness what i mean to say is overall in general there are humans who do not value anything more than what an animal values like they are just too base they're too basic and there are humans that have tried to go beyond that and those humans these two types of people are completely different Right, you're basically saying that there's like this one group of people that's way too much focused on their senses or whatever sense pleasure they can get. Exactly. Leaning towards that, while there's a fragment of people that are not only sense focused but they're mind focused as well. I forgot which philosopher said it, Harsh. Man, I was just I remembered his name, but he said something like 
The only thing separating a human from a pig is the mind, where a lot of the other organs you're going to see in both of the creatures. And that's something that stuck with me because how many people are actually taking the time to exercise their mind through processes like meditation, learning, not hanging with negative people, etc. You know, in the information age, I'm thinking, and this is me being an optimist, I'm thinking more and more people are going to get curious about meditation and they're going to try to incorporate it into their life one way, shape or form. What do you think? I think meditation is a, necess- a necessity, you know, it's like brushing your teeth. You have to do it. Like If you want to make sure your teeth don't fall out, you have to brush them and you want to make sure your brain doesn't go insane. You have to meditate. So it's like a necessity. It's not something you do as an addition. It's something you have to do. And I do think that more and more people are going to do it. But like once think- again, you will see the same thing happen. Like There's going to be a certain group of people who actually do it. And a certain group of people who will just try it for one day and then forget about it. They'll be like, it doesn't work for me. Yeah. So if you take, if you take animals, okay, animals want immediate results. Animals don't plan for the future. Like an animal will go hunting and wants food. It won't like, it won't spend six months building a trap and then see what happens or not. So there, there is a certain disconnect here. So any activity that gives you results over a long period of time, over a long period of time, is where you will see the separation show up. So, for example, going to the gym, you will not get fit if you go to the gym for two days. But if you go for like two years, then you will see a difference. Which is why only certain people go to the gym. And some people just go for like a week and then they stop. So mm-hmm. that ability to plan for the future, to value higher order things, and that separates humans into two different types of people. Like I would say they're almost like they're different species. Well, in the beginning of that one bit that you were talking about, you brought up the two groups of people, which is called master and slave mentality. And I use something very similar, but it's different words. I use victor versus victim. And to boil it down even further, I say that the victim is led by their body predominantly. They're pretty much repeating old school programs. And that's what the body does, where it's just going to keep repeating stuff on autopilot. And it doesn't have the capability to just plan decade by decade. And this is where a victim is separated from a victor, where a victor understands that the body is reprogrammable through concepts like neuroplasticity, deliberate practice and creativity and what the victor does is that they break certain pre uh, conditioned programs and they install new programs in there and i believe one of the most profound ways to do that is through meditation otherwise you're just pretty much in this mental rat race and it's a thought that precedes the action so if you're not able to control your thoughts that means you are controlled and you're not as free as you think So personally for me, man, I see meditation hopefully making a comeback in the information age where more and more people are exercising their uh, distraction muscle. And I don't know if we've talked about this before, but uh, did did we ever talk about scrolling 
like scrolling through uh, your newsfeed and the dangerous effects of that? We have not. Tell me more. So I, I saw this quote that says that uh, scrolling is the new smoking. And I believe that there's a reason as to why. I made a YouTube video uh, discussing this in detail. Uh, but the reason why is because what seems like small physical changes is profound mental changes. Where when you see someone scrolling harsh, what do you really see? You just see their thumb moving, right? Correct. But what's happening in their mind is that they're exercising a thing called the distraction muscle. Mainly because when you're scrolling, you're introducing the mind to different types of content. So the average Bubba, they're going through Facebook. They see a picture of, let's say, their coworker's new puppy. One content piece. Next, they see that their cousin just got married. A brand new content piece with a completely different theme. Next, they see that uh, their ex is throwing a house party. Brand new content piece. And what's happening is that the mind is being it's being changed from one location to the next, to the next, to the next. And at this point, they're conditioning a monkey mind, a mind that just keeps hopping from thought to thought to thought. And this is a person who can't do much about it because they don't even understand what the problem is. They don't understand that this small little motion of uh, scrolling your thumb, moving it up and down is causing drastic mental changes. So meditation isn't easy, Harsh, because it, it makes you have eye contact with your mind. And, you know, meditating in the beginning stages, it's going to show you the dark parts of your mind as well. And if you're serious about it, you got to you got to educate yourself on the field. You don't just want to, uh, you know, you don't just want to dive in there. You want to educate yourself on the field. You want to practice gradually and then build up from there. Hmm. I agree with you there. I agree with you. You could even check out these apps like Headspace, which kind of do the whole planning thing for you. What's your meditation like? Or do you just keep it private? <coughs> Sorry. Uh, my meditation style is very simple. I just sit and I breathe and I focus on my breathing. Mm-hmm. How long have you been meditating for? Many years. Although I'm yet to learn meditation formally, this is just how I got started with this application called Headspace. Headspace, mm -hmm. And my family, of course, taught me some meditation. So I've just been doing that. I do plan to take courses on doing it properly in the future. Like I want to learn more about how it can be done in, in a better way. Just that I haven't had the time to do it. Like I haven't had the time to take the courses. And... Any benefits you've noticed? From meditation, a, a mm -hmm. lot of benefits. It kind of calms your brain down because your brain has this tendency to produce chatter and too much noise. And when you meditate, you make the parts of your brain that help you control it stronger. So you are able to control your thoughts, your emotions. You are more aware of what you're doing, what you're saying. And you are even more aware, for example, when you're getting angry, let's say you haven't eaten anything, okay? And you are more likely to feel anger when you are hungry. Mm -hmm. When you meditate, you will actually be aware that you're getting angry now and you're getting angry because you're hungry. And it kind of helps you be more in control of yourself.
so it's i see it as a necessity i i don't see i don't see how people go their lives without meditating right and i know people who've tried and they've done it for a couple of days then they'll stop and then they start it again and i've noticed some patterns and if, if you're listening to this and this resonates with you i'm going to give you the fix so people when they hear about meditation they just heard about a lot of the benefits you described oh whoa you're telling me i can control my thoughts you're telling me i can be more aware uh, count me in and what a lot of them do is that they start by biting off more than they can chew they're like i'm going to meditate for 40 minutes a day which is way too much for a beginner who's never meditated before even 15 minutes is even 15 minutes is too much for a beginner absolutely my my recommendation is start off with 1 minute a day for a couple of days when yourself over and then once you've won yourself over then you gradually add on time you don't go from 1 minute to 40 minutes you go from 1 minute to 2 minute to 3 minutes I think and this seems like common sense one but this needs to be said. too low. I, I would say 5 minutes is a good starting point. Yeah, I mean, uh, that was just an arbitrary number, but yeah, uh, even 5 minutes is worth it. But try to view it sort of like you going to the gym. If you're skinny, you don't want to go into like the bench press and try uh bench pressing 450 pounds. You're going to look like a jackass. You're going to die. The same thing with the mind. <laughs> <laughs> If you get the weight off the stand of the rack at 4 to 5 and you haven't benched before you're fucked if you drop that <laughs> weight on your face you, you ever done that before no let's hope that it never happens <laughs> i did have a situation where accidentally i didn't rack one side so oh. it kind of slipped but it didn't hit anything so i was pressing at my house and the other side hit the sofa and not me do you work out at the house yeah so ever since the lockdown happened i've been training in my house oh, okay have you ever had a gym buddy i have not actually i haven't and that mm-hmm. is probably attributable to the fact that i i'm a businessman i kind of work on my own So mm-hmm. this allows me to go to the gym at 2 p.m., 3 p.m. where no one else is in the gym. So when I work out, it's usually just me or like a housewife or two showing up. <laughs> We're talking about that. They're probably thinking you're some sort of actor. <laughs> Who <laughs> yeah. is this guy? Yeah, a lot of them think I'm an actor because I'm fit and I look good. So they, they assume I'm an actor or some of them think I'm unemployed. <laughs> So l- l- let's br- break that down a little bit What more. What time do you normally go to the gym, Arman? Me, okay. So normally I go like the first thing in the morning where as soon as I wake up, I get a quick little snack and I head over to the gym. Uh, today since we were having a call, I thought, "Eh, whatever, l- let's do it later on in the day." But when I get it done in the morning, I just feel better for the day. Where if I save it for later on, I may or may not do it. Mm, I've noticed that too, you know. So if you work out in the morning, you are 
far more likely to actually do your workout. But if you schedule a workout in the evening, then the probability of you skipping the workout increases dramatically. And that's simply because you're tired, you know, when it's evening. Mm-hmm. You've had your entire day, you've been working or whatever, and your brain just doesn't want to do anything. So it comes up with all these excuses. It's, it's just one day, you'll be fine, and we'll do it tomorrow. When, mm-hmm. when you work out in the morning, you have no excuses. Right. And, you know, I, I can't really see it another way, where for a while, I used to work out late in the night, where me and my brother, we used to go to this 24-hour gym, and we would work out super late. And the reason we did that was because no one was at the gym. It was just me and my brother with the entire gym for ourselves. And there's that peace that I had. It felt good. The one thing with waking up early and going to the gym is that like hundreds of other people are in the gym that I'm in. It's a pretty popular gym. I'm like, man, why aren't you guys sleeping? You guys should be sleeping right now and give me the whole gym to myself. But, um, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm like, get out of here. But it's something that I could live with. So I, I work out in the morning. You know, the uh, best time I found to work out is the afternoon. And I'll tell you why. When you work out in the morning, you're, you haven't eaten anything. So you, you're going to be weaker. And in the afternoon, you've had some breakfast and there's no one in the gym. So you get the gym to yourself. And you have more carbohydrates in your blood. Mm-hmm. So you can lift heavier. But I can You're... see for a lot of people, the only option is either morning or evening. And for most people like who have children, the only option is morning. So do what you have to. Right, right. For me, it's more so just lifestyle-wise. Where I, I, I do get it. I, and I would say... Doing it later on, not even in the evening, but later on, once I've stacked up a meal or two, that may be even the best. But personally, just in terms of lifestyle and, you know, practicing, experimenting a lot, I know that if I'm going to be consistent with working out, I got to get it done early. And it's not just with working out harsh. It's with anything that has resistance in it, where if I possibly think that it's going to be something that I postpone, I do it straight up in the morning just so I get it out of the way. Mm, that's actually very smart. I think that's it's one the of same. the best ways to get things done, you know, do the hard things first. Right. It was the same thing with journaling. When I was journaling, if I did it for later on in the day, I would have all these creative excuses as to why I couldn't do it. I'm like, ah, oh, man, today, you know, today is Tuesday, you know. It's Tuesday, 4 p.m. Eh, whatever, I'll just do it tomorrow. But if I do it in the morning, I just got it knocked out and I'm good to go for the rest of the day. Agree. Do you have do you have a morning routine or you wing it? I have a morning routine, but it's it's not the same routine every single day. Mm-hmm. So for example, when we do our podcast, my morning routine is just waking up and doing the podcast with you. But otherwise my routine looks like waking up, making my to-do list, meditating. And, you know, then beginning with my to-do list, getting things done, one, two, three, four, five, and depends on what I have on my list. All right, Arman, I'll have to cut this episode a bit short. I'm just too hungry. The last time I ate was yesterday lunch, and then Mm -hmm. then I've just been sleeping because of the hike. 
So I'll just get something to eat and we should do another episode soon. How about we uh, knock out an episode before 2022 starts? Sounds good. We should have like a new year episode. Perfect. I'll contact you to get that planned out. And my friend, thank you for joining the podcast. It's always an honor to learn from you and for us to network. Likewise, Arman, I always enjoy speaking with you and I learn a lot from you and I hope you have a great day ahead. <laughs> great night ahead. <laughs> oh, good night ahead, right. I thank you, Harsh. I appreciate you. And for those of you listening, be sure to like this podcast, hit subscribe and stay updated for the latest episodes of Unapologetic Truths. Take care. Bye-bye everyone. Have a great day.